0: Hi, A.P. Lit. Oh my gosh, it's late. It's 8.53 on um, Wednesday night. I'm recording episodes. I'm going to talk about chapters 21, 22, and 23. And I just realized, I don't know why I did this, but I didn't ask any questions about Enoch and the snake and the python, the, um, or not the python, sorry, that was the other guy, and the goo mask, and I got to talk about that. Okay, so first let's get started on chapter 21. Um, I lo- Wait, hold on, let me make sure I'm talking about the right one. Um. I love chapter 21. And I it's also uh, really painful to read. So chapter 21 is this really magical moment where Mr. Brown and this guy named Acuna, they have a conversation. And it's for me, it's kind of that moment like, if only the book could end right here. Um, and what's happening in this conversation, and I hope you notice this, is that They're just talking, they're they're not arguing. They're just having a conversation about what each of them believe. And this is so valuable. They're not being violent. They're not screaming at each other. They're actually listening. And what, like, you know, they come across some similarities. They talk about, like, this idea of idols, and they talk about why they think the other religion has idols. Um, And even Mr. Brown says something like, uh, you know, you you said one interesting thing, said Mr. Brown, You are afraid of Chukwu. In my religion, Chukwu is a loving father and need not be feared by those who do his will. And then Akuna says, we must fear him when we are not doing his will, said Akuna. And who is to tell his will? Is it too great to be known? So, you know, they kind of compare their religions and they say like, oh, we call it this, but you call it that, but it's different for this reason or that. Um, and it said in this way, Mr. Brown learned a great deal about the religion of the clan. And he came to the conclusion that a frontal attack would not on it would not succeed. And so he built a school and a little hospital in omofia He went from family to family begging people to send their children to school. But at first they only sent their slaves and sometimes their lazy children. Mr. Brown begged and argued and prophesied. He said that the leaders of the land in the future would be men and women who had learned to read and write. If a mofia failed to send their children to school, strangers would come from places to rule them. They could already see it happening in the native court where the district commissioner was surrounded by strangers who spoke his tongue. Many of these strangers came from the distant town of Umuru on the bank of the great river where the first white man, where the white man first went. Um, and then it says, in the end, Mr. Brown's arguments began to have an effect. More people came to learn in his school and encouraged them with gifts of singlet, singlets and towels. Um, so Mr. Brown is this very, I guess I want to say, like kind-hearted man. And he's willing to listen. And he wants to educate the people of Amophia. And he says, and I have to believe that in some way, because of what's going to happen next, he's being authentic here. He's like, look, th- what is coming next are people who are going to be able to read and write. And if you want to be able to survive, you need to know how to do that, and I'm going to teach you that at my school. Um, Okay, then I want to read this last paragraph. Mr. Brown's mission grew from strength to strength, and because of its link with the new administration, it earns new social prestige. So Mr. Brown is this, like, uh, I guess if you want to talk about Christianity. And if we were in school, I would love to have a conversation about how Christianity has been represented to you as an individual, not, not you as in like, how do we see it in movies or, you know, Christmas is everywhere. Like, how is it presented to you as an individual? And many people will, would probably say things like, well, in my church, it feels like we're excluding certain people. And I would say, oh, where? how did you get that message? And you would tell us. Other people would say, you know what? In my church, we just learned that Christianity is really about loving people. And I would say, oh, that's weird. Where'd you get that message? And the idea here is that Christianity is obviously it feels like it's a million different things, right? And a lot of it depends on who you are talking to. To speak to my own experience as a young person, I went to a Methodist church and we had one guy who was in charge of the, you know, like he would do the sermons and stuff and he was a very fund he was a fundamentalist, right? So he would say like things like if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, that's it. I don't, I don't really want to elaborate on that's it, but that was like his thing. Like he would, he had a very, I want to say like kind of quote strict interpretation of the Bible. Okay, great. Fine. He leaves. And then, um, the last guy that was there and he was there probably when I was in my twenties and thirties, I don't go to this church anymore. He would, he was, the most loving person in the world. There's a plaque dedicated to him. And it talks about he had this, he has this philosophy, it's called like radical kindness, or I can't remember what they call it, what he called it. But he was just like, I will love anybody. Um, I do not care if you are gay or straight, or it doesn't matter to me. Um, You know, like he really had this message of everyone is welcome here. And I do not care what other people say. Everyone is welcome at this church. I mean, this was, it was like night and day between these two guys. And it's weird. They, they identify as the same religion, but they have two completely different beliefs. I just want to note that like that exists in all religions, right? So it's the same thing. It's a foil. Mr. Brown and Mr. Smith are a foil to Ocampo and Obi They, they, practice the same tradition customs and they have the same religion but their two their beliefs at times feel completely different. Okay, that's my digression. Let me go back. Oh, Mr. Brown is this magical human who if you are a person who's of the Christian faith and you're finding this book kind of a weird read, I wish we were in class so we could unpack that a little bit, but Mr. Brown is the time I think for in the past when we've been in cl- when I've been in class with students students who are Christian will say like I wish this is how all people could represent our religion. We want to listen. We want to love. We want to provide opportunity. We want to help, you know, bring people up. Um, but then at the end of the chapter, it says, but Mr. Brown himself was taking, was breaking down in health. At first he ignored the warning signs, but in the end he had to leave, he had to leave his flock sad and broken. Um, and so that is a problem. You know, we have this magical moment with Mr. Brown where we think to ourselves like, "Hey, maybe Umofia can make it work," you know? But then Mr. Smith shows up and things change. Okay. Now I'm going to move on to chapter 22. So, Mr. Smith is a completely different leader, okay? And I'm just going to read something real quick. On 171, it says, Within a few weeks of his arrival in Omofia, Mr. Smith suspended a young woman from the church for pouring new wine into old bottles. Are you kidding me? Are you for real right now, Mr. Smith? Like, Mr. Smith is by the book. He has very black and white thinking. He's not here to love and accept. He is here to say, I need to tell you who the faithful are. And if you're not faithful, you know, hellfire and damnation. Okay. Um, there's this part that says Mr. Smith danced a furious step. And so the drums went mad. The overzealous converts who had smarted under Mr. Brown's restraining had now flourished in full favor. <sighs> I wish we were in class together. Cause I would really talk about like, um, how I see this happening with other mm, elements of leadership. How certain leaders can bring qualities out in people and allow certain people to flourish. Maybe you can just ruminate on that without me. Okay. And then we get the story of Enoch. So, Enoch is an Ebo convert, which I think is really good on a Chebe's part to make this next thing that happens. It comes from an Ebo uh, person. Okay. So Enoch is an uh, okay. I need you guys to know this word overzealous. It means like you're sort of uh, overly passionate about your religion to the point that, well, let me just read what it says about Enoch. Um, one of them was Enoch, the son of the snake priest who was believed to have killed and eaten the sacred Python different guy than the last one. Enoch's devotion to the new faith had seemed so much greater than Mr. Brown's that the villagers called him the outsider who wept louder than the bereaved. Okay. So Mr. Smith is here now, and Enoch is really um like thriving under Mr. Smith. Then it says, um the annual worship of the earth goddess fell on a Sunday and the masked spirits were abroad. You guys remember the agugu, these are the sacred masked spirits. The Christian women who had not been to church could not therefore go home. Some of their men had gone out to beg the agugu to retire for a short while for the women to pass. They agreed. And they were already retiring when Enoch boasted aloud that they would not dare touch a Christian whereupon they all came back. And one of them gave Enoch a good stroke with the cane. So they get that these mass spirits get annoyed with what Enoch said. So they hit him with the cane. Enoch fell on him and tore off his mask. It says Enoch had killed an ancestral spirit and Umophia was thrown into confusion. Okay. So I remember a while ago when I talked about the Yagugu ceremony and we talked about sacred elements of all religions. And I said, guys, think about like, what's the sacred element in a church? What's the sacred element in a synagogue? What's the sacred element in a mosque? And if you know that culture, you know when, or you would be able to understand the devastation if a sacred element of that property or of that church, if it was vandalized, right? Like you would feel that pain part of why we have to read all of part one is because when Enoch rips off the mask of the spirit, you as the reader need to be like, Oh oh my God. Because it is shocking. And you have to know how, Oh my gosh, how awful this is, how disrespectful, how terrible this is. Um, you know, it would be like if if a sacred object or building or part of the building was, um, vandalized in some way. That's what just happened to the ancestral mask. Okay. So now the agugu have to come back at them in some way. So they come to the church and the interpreter like kind of gets in the middle of it. The end result is the agugu don't hurt anyone, but they burn down Enoch's house and they burn down the church. And now, you know, it is on, right? What'd you say? Pause. Hold on. What'd you say? Oh yeah, I'll go in. Let me pause. Okay, guys. Sorry, <clears throat> I had to tend to some bedtime business. Now I'm back. Okay. So as I was saying, now it's on. Okay, and and what you want to think about, and this I, I know I asked you this question. I'm going to keep asking it. Like, uh, is there any way this could have been mitigated, prevented? Is peace not just not an option? And many of you said in your answers, like it's not an option. It can't happen. Period. And I found that to be truthful and honest and also extremely disheartening. Okay. I want to keep reading though. Um, so, so they burned down the church and in chapter 23, what happens is we get the revenge, not even the revenge, but like we get the re I mean, you can call it what you want to call it revenge reaction, from the district commissioner. And what they do is they basically trick the men, the Igbo men, into showing up and then they hold them prisoner. And um and then what we get, hold on, I'm gonna read this on page 180. So they have these six men and Oconco is one of them. The six men ate nothing throughout the day and the next. They were not given any water to drink, and they could not go out to urinate or go to the bush when they were pressed. At night, the messengers came to taunt them and knock their shaven heads together. Even when the men were left alone, they found no words to speak to one another. It was only on the third day when they could no longer bear the hunger and the insults, they began to talk about giving in. Okonkwo says, we should have killed the white man if you would listen to me. Um, Who wants to kill the white man? A messenger asked a messenger who rushed in. You are not satisfied with your crime, but you must kill the white man on top of it. He carried a strong stick and hit each of the men a few blows on the head and back. Okonkwo was choked with hate. Okay, so they've now sort of like said to the people of um, Mofia, you have to pay this giant fine and blah, blah, blah. But part of what I asked about in the questions was this element of humiliation. And I don't know, there's something really powerful in terms of a psychological sense where they arrest the men and they, you know, it's just this, it's a showdown. And they're trying to say, you're not in charge. We're better than you. Um, we're in charge now. And when you think about who Okonkwo is, um, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I guess it's hard for me to articulate what I'm trying to say. But they're really destroying Okonkwo on like this emotional level, right? They're not just hurting him. Like Okonkwo can go to battle, right? Like if he, if he died gloriously in a battle, he would prefer that to being held prisoner, being starved, being humiliated, being beaten, um, and being held for money. They're basically coming in and saying, you know, we're, we're here to control you. And this is like the opposite of everything that Okonkwo is as a human. And this part to me is one of the saddest parts when Azima comes home and realizes that her dad's gone and, or not gone, but um, realizes that her dad's been arrested. And I mean, the women, everybody in this culture, they see these guys as the most powerful people, right? They're the leaders of their culture. Um, And again, like it doesn't, we've talked about this before. Like, it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they're the leaders of of their whole world. And now they're being humiliated. Now they're being, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't even know. Oppressed isn't strong enough, but it's just really sad. It reminds me of, um, well, it reminds me of a lot of things, but this fat, like this human, quality of when you want to control someone, you have to humiliate them in front of their own people. Like we see that in other eras of history. Um, When you want to destroy a culture, right? You like that, this this is a recipe book in many ways, not this book, but like what is happening now is, are these smaller stories of how the Europeans decimated the culture of people like the Igbo people? And I think we know that on like a macro level. like We know that it happened, but we don't know how it happened. And when we get the story of Okonkwo, which isn't done yet, um, I don't know. I think that we get so much more by learning about one man and his family. We don't even really like Okonkwo, but we certainly know that... Um, we certainly understand that he is going to lose. like You all know that. I think the way he loses is tremendously tragic and we haven't gotten there yet, but I don't know. I think a lot of things, uh, many things will come together for us as the reader in the last couple chapters here, but the humiliation factor is a big deal. And I don't want you guys to miss that. Okay. So at the end of chapter 23, um, they get word that They're, you know, the district commissioner or somebody has hiked up the, the, um, the amount of calories just so they can make some money and they're going to try to get the guys out of jail. But even when they get them out of jail, you know, and I think you know this already, but like, even when they get them out of jail, it's all, it's nothing can ever be the same forever. And I think that's like one of the most to me, like once these Europeans start to show up and it doesn't mean that like, you know, we should have put fences around everybody. Right. It doesn't mean that like, I mean, global movement is inevitable, but it's still crazy to understand that these people are on the brink of annihilation. Their culture is on the brink of annihilation. Their language is on the brink of annihilation and there is nothing they can do to stop it even their strongest, biggest, most powerful guy, like right? Like Okonkwo, like he's the man. He is nothing compared to what these people have against him. And that's a, I think that this is a story that we haven't heard before. Um, we of course know what happened in this time period in this part of the world, but this specific story is one we haven't heard before. Okay. Um, that's going to be it for me for tonight. And I, I am sure I know some of you, I know some of you are just going to read right through to the end and I go for it. Um, I think at this point, if you're done, if you've read chapter 23, I think, I think I want you to take a moment and make a prediction as to how this thing is going to go. Cause we're almost done. And I would love to know if you were right, because I will tell you this. When I first read this book, I didn't see this coming. I know a lot of you who said like, I knew Akame Funa was going to happen. I knew, um, you know, we knew the evil forest thing was going to happen. I want you to pause. If you're on chapter 23, I want you to make a prediction out loud. How do you think this book is going to end? And I'd love to know if you're right. Okay. Thanks so much for listening guys. I'll be back, um, next week and I'll post global feedback on your questions once I'm done looking at them. Bye.